mindfulness mode. Shifting our social environment, that is going to have the largest impact on your life. Hey, Mindful Tribe, I'm here with Jacques. Jacques, the party scientist. And you're going to find out what that means. You're going to find out how much fun this guy actually has in life, which I think is a huge amount. Anyway, let's get started. Jacques, what does mindfulness mean to you? Ah, uh, Bruce, I, I feel your contagious energy through the metaverse. And uh, first, first, before I answer that question, I want to distinguish having fun and being fun. And uh, I think that we can reframe the language we use, especially when we're talking about fun and, and uh, you know, don't be at a party, be the party. Uh, mindfulness to me, Bruce, mindfulness is about really feeling our full sensory field without thought, without cognition. And uh, I really, you know, how, how I really apply this is when I, when I feel a lot of uh, joy or emotion, I really feel it and I, I pay attention to my body. So for me, it's, it's, uh, it's a lot about being aware of my body's sensations um, as opposed to watching. Uh, watching my thoughts is, is also a factor, but I think I, I'm, I'm more so into the, the embodiment piece of mindfulness. How old were you when you realized that you could be paid to bring fun into a space? And yeah, yeah, well, it really all started spontaneously and organically and progressively people started to ask for my services, but uh, it was in uh, probably 2019. So this is after, uh, so, so I was, I guess I was 24 at that time. And, uh, I worked with a corporation called Lush Cosmetics and they, they flew me to an event. And that's when I was like, Whoa, wait a second. Someone paid for my flight. What is going on? And then I just like went all in on being the party scientist. Oh, that's really cool. Very, very cool. And so since that time, tell me some of the craziest things you've done to bring joy <laughs> into a space. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, gosh. Well, uh, I'm just returning from this eight-month journey around the world. And I was in Barcelona. I was in France. Um, one crazy thing I've done related to mindfulness on that journey was immerse myself in uh, solitary darkness for eight days, practicing open awareness meditation for eight days straight. Uh, but the crazy, you know, facilitation stunts I've done, I, I, uh, I brought about 200 people onto this playground structure in Barcelona during this festival where everyone goes to the beach and lights off fireworks totally renegade and i led this parade for like five kilometers and brought everyone onto this playground and and people were having so much fun that i had to shut down the party because it was no longer safe for people to be on this uh it was one of those um rope based uh structures that you can climb up and there were just way too many people on it so i i shut off the music and told everyone to get down 
Um, and then beyond that, um, I, uh, I went and I facilitated a, a little recognition ritual at a Mayan hieroglyph site in the middle of the uh, jungle uh, in Mexico. And uh, that was uh, quite scary. Well, tell me about the fear that went along with that. Tell me about how scary it yeah. was. Uh, I guess, yeah, I was, I was immersed by the thought that we were going to get lost in this jungle. It was a big group of us. Uh Um, but, uh, I, I guess, you know, my inner control freak was coming out and, uh, I was kind of thinking about the, the worst case scenario. Um, and eventually we, we started to to hike back and we had a bunch of music on, but it was really dark and Uh there were multiple trails. Um, but uh, we we made it back eventually, just really late at night. So yeah. So what happens, Jack, when life turns quiet? I can see what happens to you when you're around a big crowd and when your job oh, yeah. is to bring the happiness and the joy. What happens during the other times? Yeah. Well, this is this is really important to me, and I'm so happy you're asking me this. I'm actually writing an article right now, Bruce, called The Candle Versus the Dynamite. And it's two approaches to life. Mm -hmm. And it actually has to do with the uh, dopaminergic neurons and the science of dopamine releases in our brain. Essentially, I am the dynamite. Mm -hmm. And I have extreme exhilarating physically active, socially active experiences, and they deplete my dopamine. My dopamine gets released and I'm enjoying myself and I'm, I'm stimulated and I'm alive and my eyes are wide open. And then what I do is I go home and rest and I sleep and I'm alone. And I, I sleep is a ritual for me. Like, uh, you know, my room is kind of bizarre compared to most people's rooms. Um, so I journal, I write, Uh, writing and journaling for me are so important. And so I write actively on LinkedIn about my life philosophy and, and this kind of ongoing research on, on my well-being. It's like, I am a researcher of Jack's well-being, you know, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and, uh, I, I invest in my health. I am a bio hacker. I'm a bio social hacker as well. So I, I really slow down, focus on one-to-one connections. I, I work out, I push my body to the limits and I, I sleep really well. And then, uh, I, I journal and write a lot about, uh, my psyche and behaviors. I just wonder, are there ever any times when you can't get that dopamine flowing and it's your job and you're supposed to show up and you're supposed to make this happen? Do you ever have any trouble with that? And if you do, do you ever use substances to boost it? Yeah, I mean, uh, I what happens is once you've ignited fun in in one person and you are mindfully witnessing their fun that sensory experience becomes a drug and it starts to ignite the fun and positive emotions within me and so i i don't 
often experience that where, where I can't get into the zone because I'm so attuned to other people's emotions. Uh, really, it's just about warming up the body. It's about elevating the heart rate. It's about using music. It's about watching other people have fun. You know, I, I just led some uh, healthy partying workshops at a festival recently, and it was a, it's a very hedonistic festival where a lot of people practice habitual, unintentional, uh, you know, substance use. And um, I would just look at everyone having fun and it would energize me. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, I, 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 if I'm in a really bad mood and I'm stressed and I'm, I'm deprived of energy, uh, I'll usually just put on my favorite song and recall a memory to that song. And I just fire up the engines and I'm ready to go. That's fantastic. Because would you agree, Jacques, that we live in a world where most people's attitude is that in order to boost our energy and get happy and have fun, we do need a substance. Isn't that the predominant theory? Yeah, it's both a predominant belief and it's it's a predominant norm. It's a social norm. It's like fun is only appropriate in these facilities where people drink alcohol or at a festival. It takes a lot of courage to bring dance, song, and play into environments that don't include festivals, nightclubs, and bars. It's, it's, it's scary. Yes. And my philosophy is that if we really want to get like shatter the ceiling of our well-being and get to the next level of our well-being, we need to start taking more social risks. And we got to live life like a festival. And we got to be the first people to give others permission to express themselves in the ways that they are wired to express themselves. Like we are wired for nonverbal connection. It doesn't need to just be talk, 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 drink, 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 drink. Like that's, that's what most parties and gatherings are based on. Yes. It's talk, talk, talk. It's super heady. It's like, yeah, you can have a mindful conversation, but for me, it's like when we're truly, when we're thinking it's, it's sometimes hard to be truly without thought because it's, it's like, thought and language are so intertwined. So for me, I think there's something to say about embodiment, mindfulness, and nonverbal connection. And I think that's, those are experiences that I design really. Well, I would go so far as to say that this is cutting edge because there's almost nobody out there that I know of doing what you do. Is that true? Or are there a whole bunch of people that I just have never heard of? Well, I'm, I'm a, I'm a freak when it comes to neuroscience and I'm an experimenter, Bruce. Uh, so I have an Excel sheet with a thousand exercises that I've tried over time. I, I document them all. I journal about every experience I facilitate. Um, and no, I, I don't think I don't think anyone uses music like I do to facilitate this diversity of uh, uh, forms of connection, right? Um, you know, one, one thing that I was doing at this festival a lot 
and it was it was just like it, I call it the the enthusiastic yes and you just take a deep inhalation and then you exhale yes with other people and and it's yes to the possibilities it's yes to each other and uh, and everyone just smiles and and has so much fun doing it it's so easy <laughs> Yeah, that is easy. Yeah, yeah. It, it isn't heady at all. It's just like, hey, let's have fun. Let's do this thing. Totally. Wow. Wow. So well, tell me about the haters. Have you ever had to deal with haters yet? Because you're pretty new at this, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so in 2017, I had a big difficult realization that uh, – the media can misrepresent us very easily. So I've been right. featured in the news a lot. Uh, I used to do these massive renegade flash mobs in Vancouver. And so uh, no permits, no asking permission. I get hundreds of people out with me under this brand called Party for Health. And it was all about the health benefits of partying. Mm -hmm. And uh, the, the media just told me that I was hosting a rave and everyone was doing drugs. And so, um, you know, they're not haters. They're just, they're just uh, subscribing to the business model that they have. Now I have, I, I take risks, Bruce, like there have been times where I've walked up to a random party and I party crash it and and I ask consent from the host, but it's like, I'm like, let's do this. Like, can I come and party crash your party? Like I'm a professional and, and I will just walk in and I'll get everyone singing Bob Marley and everyone having gratitude for each other. And it's like, it's insane. And people think it's intrusive until they start to experience it. And then they're like, wow, thank God. Thank God that this happened. So, uh, but listen to this, Bruce. I mean, here's the thing. If we want to train our mindfulness, we got to remove what undermines our mindfulness. And what undermines our mindfulness is largely notifications on our phone. And so I've quit social media. Like, I don't really have haters anymore because I don't participate in social media. So, like, that's kind of taken that away from my life, which is a real positive of quitting. Well, I noticed that somewhere I was reading and it said that you no longer do Instagram. So is that why? I didn't receive a lot of haters through Instagram. Um, it was mainly like the, the most hate I've ever experienced was in 2017 when I hosted this event called the Hike Rave. And essentially we were hiking yeah. with outfits on uh -huh. and we were playing music on a trail that no one really uses in the evening so we weren't bothering anyone and people got really upset and i received hate mail um uh and, and so uh, the lesson here is that fame is actually uh, not i i don't want fame i i want to be incognito I want to be uh, famous by really, really smart people who, who are advancing the events industry. So I more so quit social media, Bruce, because it, it just doesn't reinforce the behaviors that I want. Like, Very I want, interesting. 
what what is what is social media reinforcing right like what it's it's reinforcing this this need for like social validation and like being on our phones and right i mean uh tell me tell me what's what's your relationship with that right now i mean have you considered quitting yes my relationship with it is that it doesn't work for me it's <laughs> i don't resonate with it i mean it's it's really it's i i really think like we we there's there's all these practices we do and we we discipline ourselves to to become more mindful but maybe a a better approach would be to consider our social and physical environment and and that includes our digital environment and if we just uh hang out with less distracted people and and people who are less addicted to their phones and we decluttered our instant messaging plethora of apps and we deleted Instagram is essentially the best representation of more is better, more mm. social validation, more friends, more content is better. And it's, it's like, that is, I don't know if it's related to, to mindfulness, but it, it speeds us up and mindfulness is about slowing down. Yes. Yeah, it definitely is. Do you, um, do a lot of work for the LGBTQ community? So <laughs> that's, that's great that you ask. I mean, my initial excitement when you share that is they throw really great parties and yes, they know how I, to party. I love being in that atmosphere uh, because there's, there's this acceptance of, of wild human expression. Mm -hmm. um, this, this very high level of expression is acceptable. Now, I led, uh, I co-led a parade at this festival. It was the Pride Parade. I was just at Barcelona Pride, and I led this mass. I actually led a micro parade within the parade, and it was so much fun. I got people promenading down the street, and then I got us all skipping down the street, and then we did a con, like all these fun games. Uh, and then I've also in the past hosted uh, the Pride Undie Run in Vancouver, mm -hmm. which is uh, an underwear run. <laughs> <laughs> so, so like I've done, I've done work with uh, the Pride community. Um, it isn't a community that I'm actively involved in, but uh, I, I've aligned so much with the values they have there. Wow, are you going to be featured in a movie? You seem as though you should be, or you should have your own movie or something along those lines. Yeah. Well, I'm flattered by that comment. Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, when I travel around the world, Bruce, it's, it's pretty wild. Like I, um, I'll give you an example. I'm in Nice in France mm -hmm. and the beach is packed. And I just finished throwing another party at the big sign that says Nice. I love Nice. And I'm getting like 100 people to do the thriller dance. And I, I'm just finished that and I'm still sweating. And, I'm, and then I, I come to the main beach and I see this massive construction container on the beach. And I'm like, this is perfect. That is the perfect stage to throw a massive dance party on this beach. So I, I lug this massive speaker that I travel with everywhere onto this 
construction container. I climb up, start playing dramatic music, and then I start facilitating a party in broken French until there's like 200 people. The whole boardwalk has stopped. Everyone's filming. Everyone is singing and dancing on the beach. And like, everyone's like, are you on social media? Like, let me follow you on Instagram. And I'm like, nope, you can't, you can't. <laughs> like, wow. there's no way to follow me anymore. It's great. And you know what they said? They said, wow, you're really doing it because you love it. Yeah. And that's you're not doing it because of social media. Yeah. That's the question we need to ask ourselves. Are we doing this to share it with others or are we doing this because we love it and we love the process? Yeah. Well, I imagine there's so much footage of you out there in the world that oh some God, of that yeah. footage could be pulled together and there could be a pretty incredibly awesome uh, film created out of that. I, I really wish... Uh, I had this footage of the Barcelona event because that was, that was like alarmingly big, mm -hmm. like uh, 300 people following me through the streets. It was, and some guy caught it all on film and it's like on a Barcelona TV series or something. So I'll have to find it one day. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty cool. That is amazing. So I know that you do a lot of journaling. How about meditating? Is that part of your life? Yeah, you know, I was I was actually thinking about this recently. And I've done my 10-day Vipassana, you know, silent retreat. Mm -hmm. I've done my darkness retreat. And I do less mindfulness meditation. I, I do a lot more... Um, moments of awareness throughout the day. And then I wake up with, I wake up with two forms of stoic meditations. One of which is a negative visualization where I imagine my life uh, without owning everything that I own and without the money that I have. And the other piece is uh, imagining I've been revived and reborn and like I'm waking up into a new version of myself, into a completely new life. Um, but really, really, Bruce, what I'm excited about is making my entire life a meditation and like increasing the frequency of these moments where I'm just like, why are my hands moving around like this right now? Like, I don't, it's kind of mysterious how everything's evolving in front of me. And and that's really the non-dual perspective on on reality, and I'm really excited about that. So, so I really try to have as many of those moments as possible throughout the day. Wow, that's really really cool. Tell me about Jacques at seven years old. What were you like? <laughs> Tell us about that kid. Well, I mean, initially, uh, three words: anxious, hyperactive and angry <laughs> oh really yeah 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 um i remember uh going in this sailing camp and i would just have total panic attacks on the sailing boat uh i remember having horrible fights where with my sister where i would just scream and run and 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 punch um 
And uh, I, I was just like always on the move, right? I was just this hyperactive kid. I uh, did a lot of sports, um, played played a lot of Lego. I, I played a lot of, um, I was, I grew up on the water. So I was, I, I'm really lucky. I'm really lucky that I had a, a childhood filled with the outdoors mm-hmm. because if um, if I lived in a you know suburb where you can't really do anything unless you have a car, uh, that would have really uh, worsened my hyperactivity. So I was always outside, running around, lifting up rocks, playing with crabs, uh, getting in the kayaks. But uh, I mean, here's the thing, Bruce. I think we really over glorify childhood. Like the truth is, we were suffering almost night. I was, pardon me, I was suffering in my mind. 90% of the time in childhood. Like I was so unmindful and I was worrying and I was afraid and I was, my mood was so fragile. Yeah. So, so, uh, you know, today is the good old days. That's my new mantra, by the way. Have you heard that one? No. I mean, I haven't really, I haven't heard that people are saying that now especially with the pandemic and everything else that's been going on. And I, I think, wow, you've been gone for months. What do you say? Eight months. You've been journeying around the world in spite of the fact that we are in a pandemic. How did yeah. you pull that off and how did you decide to do it? So I, I first want to say that, that it was a risk. It was a mm-hmm. risk. And um, a lot of people uh, wouldn't have taken that risk considering their risk, their yeah. risk uh, tolerance. Um, for me, uh, for a variety of reasons, <laughs> I was, you know, it's, it's funny because throughout the rest of the world, it was no big deal. Like as an example, Bruce, we went to Vegas on Halloween. Um, and, you know, I, I believe my greatest work is to be done in Vegas. Like, I believe that I can have the greatest impact in the world working with children Mm -hmm. in like elementary and high school and working with like people who really need help, like the people in Vegas, you know, (laughs) not to generalize. But the point is uh, Vegas, uh, nothing. No, this is in October, 2021. you know, the, the rest of the world, we, we were at in Miami for a while, Miami, nothing, nothing happening. Um, so it really wasn't that different. It, it was kind of the same. If not, people were partying harder because they had been so deprived. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, um, it wasn't really in my awareness. Like I wasn't thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to get COVID and, and I'm going to have to go back to Canada because I'm, I'm going to be one of those rare autoimmune reactions. Like I just wasn't really thinking about that um, because I had pre-assessed the risk. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but here, I'll tell you this. Um, I went, I left during the onset of Delta and that was that was uh, edgier, and um, yeah, at, at times I didn't feel really comfortable with with what everyone else was doing, uh, just based on like the the trend of Delta. So, so do you do all this booking yourself? All of these big events all over the world? Do you plan this out? Do I plan this out? Um, a lot what? of them. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, my trip was a lot of fun. And I did work at multiple uh, festivals and events. But uh, I mean, uh, working honestly without getting paid because I, I can't legally get paid in the States. Oh. So uh, this trip was fun. And, and finally, I'm back in my office and I'm actually building something now. I'm building a business based on virtual you know, vitality is what I call it. Uh, but, uh, a lot of it, a lot of it was so spontaneous, Bruce. Um, I remember I was in Guatemala mm -hmm. and I had this wonderful routine. I'd go for a swim in the morning in the lake, then I'd go to the gym and then I'd go to my ecstatic dance and then I'd have a sauna with my friend nearby. And that was like a, you know, I had this great daily routine. And then my friend calls me up and says, Hey, we need you in Austin for South by Southwest. And it was so uncomfortable because I had a great routine. I was in the middle of Guatemala. It was like a five hour to the airport, but I knew it was like, it was time for me to leave Guatemala. And so uh, spontaneously, I left Guatemala, went to Austin. Then I went to LA. Then I went to Bitcoin Miami. And then I went to the big Island of Hawaii because my mom spontaneously invited me to the big Island. Then I stayed with a friend that I had met in Guatemala on the big Island for three weeks. And then I went to an event, a ticket of which I was given from a friend who I met in Guatemala. You get the point, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> this just was ongoing. It just kept, and I could have kept going. Like I had multiple invitations to events in London. Um, cause the last part of my trip was Barcelona. Okay. Right. Yeah. Um, with, with my dad, uh, who is a public health officer, oh. uh, who was a public health officer. So speaking of traveling during COVID. <laughs> right. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I want to talk about the topic of bullying. I've worked in this field for a long yeah. time, and I always ask a question about this. Do you have a story that you can share with us about bullying where mindfulness would have made a difference? <sighs> yeah, yeah. You know, uh, my, my self-judgment is that I need to share an experience from my childhood. Mm -hmm. But uh, the truth is, you know, bullying happens during adulthood as well. It sure does. Um, now, when I was in high school, I was really short, and uh, yeah, I was I was an excluded kid, and I it was not a safe environment to be yourself, and and that's that's what blows my mind is when our brains are in critical development. That's when the quality of our relationships and friendships and connections with others, it's, they're the least secure. So if we really want to like fix these intractable problems in society, we need to address the quality of relationships that are present in children and in teenagers. So I'm going to give you an example that actually happened recently. So 2021, I am, uh, I'm, I'm just coming out of a business partnership with two of my co-founders and uh, one of my co-founders, he's like a brother to me. You know, we went to a festival. I brought him onto the main stage of a festival and, uh, 
he and another man, so by the way, two, two men, they're in my men's group. They're in my men's group, two of these men, and they're brothers to me. And they plan their first ever retreat. They don't invite me. They don't explain why they haven't invited me. And then they ask to use my speaker for the retreat. And they invited people who they're not even friends with. And it really hurt. Like it really hurt. Like I haven't experienced that level of hurt. That's, that is the greatest form of ostracization I've experienced because, because it was people I trusted people who I thought were my best friends. And, uh, essentially they, they had no idea they were totally incompetent. They didn't, they, they had no intention to be malicious. Um, now I, I think that, uh, you know, when I'm coming back to the question, like how could mindfulness have, uh, helped and, you know, in, in retrospect, I, I think, um, I think it's more, more so conscious empathy or conscious, um, forecasting of other people's feelings that would have been helpful. Do, do you foresee how, how mindfulness would have, would have helped in that situation? I mean, definitely in the, in the resolution, it was super helpful, but, uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I do. I think that a lot of times things like that happen and we think, you know, what's going on? Why is this person being so cruel or whatever it is? And if you do meditate, whatever form meditation takes for you, one of the things is to think about compassion and to think about how, you know, hey, I am going to practice seeing compassion in everyone and everything. And then anytime something comes up like that, then you can think to yourself, hey, just a second here. I practice this. I practice seeing compassion. So I'm going to practice it right now. So that's what I would recommend. Totally, totally. And, and, uh, I used to do loving kindness meditations every day, and I really hope to reinvigorate that habit. And I'm also just thinking about forgiveness. And the, the truth is, uh, yeah, I've, I've done a lot of forgiveness meditation for these people. And, uh, I actually, feel, I mean, the charge comes up when I share the story because I never want to do that to anyone in my life ever. Um, but when I'm with these people, I, I it's hard for me to trust, trust them, mm -hmm. uh, and be, be good friends with them. But, uh, I certainly don't feel anger or resentment. Um, so I, I feel like my forgiveness and, and compassion meditations ha have worked a little. Good. That's good. <laughs> yeah. I, I love that, by the way, Bruce. Uh, yeah, like mindfulness f toward our experience, my experience being ostracized, mm -hmm. how, how mindfulness definitely helped me get through that. And, and especially just letting myself feel and letting myself express. Uh, I, yeah, I, like I cried in front of... Uh, one of my vulnerability groups, peer groups. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I think there's, there's something to say about mindfulness and 
emotional expression. Um, cause often we, we, we think ourselves out of emotional expression, right? Yeah, totally. I'd like to hear more about your eight days of, of darkness, solitary darkness. What did that teach you? And what was that like for you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, Oh yeah. I mean, this was an extension of my commitment to practice extreme forms of self-development. And I was in Guatemala in a cement cave, uh, alone in the dark for eight days. Uh, you memorize where everything is in the building and your food gets put through a little slot mm -hmm. in, uh, the wall, but no light comes through. Um, now, I, I had bouts of, of extreme discomfort, but uh, overall, this was, I've, I've never written, I, I, shaved, I shaved my head afterward, and I started pronouncing my name differently, and I, I gave myself a new birthday, and my parents were afraid that I had joined a cult. But uh, really what this experience was so significant to me that I, I made it a milestone through writing the largest article of my life, through shaving my head and pronouncing my name differently and declaring a new birthday. <laughs> so, uh, but uh, ultimately the greatest insight I, I got from that experience and, and it's an actual insight. It's, it's, it's about how I had abandoned recreation in my life. And this realization came from reliving a lot of moments in my childhood where I had very few responsibilities and where I was able to play. And one memory came up of being at this cabin with my dad and with, with a bunch of friends. And we just play board games under candlelight. And I realized that experiences like that are just completely absent from my life. Like I don't, I no longer did things for fun. It was all for getting better or for building my business. And so I, I really coined this term like toxic productivity mindset. And I really declared that I'm going to participate in living life more and not just prioritizing work. Although work makes me feel alive. I love my work. Um, but doing things more for me and embracing that recreation and getting out of the, 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 this, this idea like, oh, I have things to do. Like I need to do things. I need to make progress. Like I need to get better. And just giving myself a break and, and really embracing that carefree, child-like attitude. Uh, and so it, it really impacted how I live life, but ironically, not really, because I'm, I'm in a huge career focus right now because I'm back from this eight-month trip. So. <laughs> so as you focus on your career, and we know that your website is thepartyscientist.com, so that's where people can connect with you, right? But you're going to do all this without social media, pretty much. Is that true? Yes. Yes, that's true. I mean, I'm on LinkedIn. I don't post often, but I write. I write articles. They're longer. Uh -huh. um, and 
they're all about human connection, relational intelligence, health, and uh, how to create really amazing events. That's fascinating. Because if you had asked me about a person like you and how they would promote themselves and really create a successful business with what you would do, I would think most people would say, oh, well, that's got to be through social media because that's how people are going to get the vibe and get the energy and realize what it is that you actually do. But of course, when I see you online, I do see that that's what you do. I, I can find you even though it's not necessarily social media, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I've probably been told a hundred times that I would be TikTok famous. Yes, yes. But do I really want that? Do I really want to be trapped in in this notification cycle? And do I really want to be inundated with emails? Mm -hmm. It's a good question to ask yourself before it actually happens. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. So when when uh when should I schedule you in for your dark uh darkness retreat experience, Bruce? Well, I I don't know. I'll have to check my calendar <laughs> on that, Jack, because <laughs> I I'm just not sure when that's going to take place. <laughs> yeah. I think yeah. that would be pretty tough. Well, I mean, uh it's 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 you alone with no distractions. It's just your thoughts. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, yeah, like you don't have vision. Yeah. There's no vision. It's pitch dark. Wow. So that's why the visions that you have in your mind are so vivid. Yeah. Would you do it again? Yeah, certainly. Certainly, certainly, certainly. Uh, listen, I'm, I'm an advocate for digital detoxing. I'm an advocate for dopamine detoxing. And I'm, I'm an advocate for, to an extent, human connection detoxing. I'm, I'm, remember, I'm the dynamite. I socialize high intensity and then I rest, right? <laughs> so... Big advocate wow. for what it represents. Wow. Very fascinating. Well, as we move forward in the interview, Jack, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. So just 30 second answers are perfect. Who is one person who has been a powerful mindfulness influence for you? Uh, Gary Lachance, my unofficial father. He, uh, he has empowered me throughout the years and I never hear him raise his voice ever. He is a composed individual and, and he, th he is a powerful conscious decision maker. Well, let's talk about emotions. How have your emotions changed or how you deal with your emotions as a result of mindfulness? I don't get upset at myself and angry at myself for experiencing, uh, dips dips in my state and and i accept that i am not to blame i can't blame myself for my emotional experience interesting let's talk about breathing okay what have you got to say about breathing and how that impacts your life <sighs> well I take conscious breaths through the day and I find that that helps me 
be less absent-minded and it helps me be more receptive to humans, to experiences, to, to triggering ideas. So yeah, one breath at a time throughout the day, especially when those, those difficult triggers come up. Are there any books you recommend that are related to mindfulness? <sighs> yeah, it's indirectly related. It's Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman. It's all about the nature of uh, logical fallacies and cognitive biases. And I think when we watch our mind more closely, we see how insanely illogical and emotion-driven it is. Are there any apps that you would recommend that can can help as far as mindfulness is concerned? Sam Harris, waking up, uh, non-duality, baby. Yeah. Non-duality. Wow. Well, I'm very, very fascinated with what you do because it's unusual. It's fascinating. I, I think that we just don't have enough joy and happiness in this life. We don't laugh enough. We don't have enough crazy, silly, fun times. And you're changing that. So if somebody was listening today saying, hey, yeah, that's true. My life is is a drag. My life isn't much fun. What advice would you give them? I, I would say find some really fun people, hang out and celebrate them cool. <laughs> and cultivate relationships with them. And, and, and that, that shifting our social environment, that is going to have the largest impact on your life, shifting your social environment. Fascinating. ThepartyScientist.com. Jacques, thank you so much for being on the show. Hallelujah, Eureka. All the best to you. Bye now. Hey, Mindful Tribe, thanks for joining again today. And wasn't that an interesting interview? I really liked meeting Jacques. That was really a lot of fun. Now, I want to tell you something about how I'm meeting a lot of my guests now and about how a lot of my guests are connecting with me. And that is something called Podmatch. And Podmatch is a place where they automatically match ideal podcast hosts and ideal podcast guests for interviews. And it's a great system. I've used it quite a bit. And you can actually use my affiliate link by just going to mindfulnessmode.com slash podmatch. And if you use my affiliate link, then that helps me out and it will also help you out because you will be able to get in there if you're looking to ever be a guest on a podcast or maybe you're a podcaster and you're looking for guests. Either way, Podmatch is a really, really excellent way to do that. So yeah, if you don't mind using my affiliate link, that can really help me out. I appreciate it. Once more, it's mindfulnessmode.com slash podmatch. So with that, take what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode. <laughs>